0: Let's take up and read at the book of Exodus in chapter 19. Israel continues to be led by God through the wilderness, and here they stop at Exodus 19. As the record shows, they stop at the foot of Mount Sinai. Exodus 19, let's read the first nine verses. We'll be visiting this chapter for a few weeks here because it's so significant, the event of Israel at Sinai, which was a long event. Hear the word of God. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, And brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever." So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. That's as far as we'll read uh, in the scripture this morning. Though we'll be referring to this and other passages as we preach of Israel at the Mount, in this Mount Sinai. Want to focus your te- your attention this morning on destination God. That's what Israel is reminded of as they are at the foot of Mount Sinai. They are reminded specifically that they have been born on eagles' wings and been brought to God himself, as verse 4 says. In the wilderness, Israel has been wandering. They thought wandering, but they've been led By God to Himself. In fact, the moment of the Exodus was their being led to God Himself. But here at this time of Mount Sinai, they are led to God further and into the fellowship and understanding of God. And I want to commend to your attention that this is something for us to remember as we visit this Old Testament narrative here of the establishment of this Old Covenant people. But the question may come to us as we consider this lingering of Israel for some 11 months at Mount Sinai, well, what is this to us? That's the question that maybe we're having. And sadly, maybe many of, Christen, uh, of the Christians in today's Christendom don't even know that That's a question. They don't certainly know the answer to that. They'll say, well, Israel was Israel. Mount Sinai is the law. It has nothing to do with us. How could it possibly be? We're not under the law. They'll say we're under grace. We know Jesus in Mount Calvary, but Mount Sinai, that's as foreign to us as, well, grace is to works. Well, beloved, there's a lot to learn here about ourselves and the salvation we have in Jesus. And I want to point out in this sermon, uh, this truth from this perspective, that even as Israel was led to God and they were being led further into the knowledge of God here, this is what we need to know as we hear this word declared and expounded. Ours, as was Israel's, is destination God. We are in the wilderness here, in this world, as the New Testament itself tells us in Revelation 12. And we're brought here and we're given eagles' wings, and that's the parallel here. They're they're led by God's own eagles' wings, but we're given eagles' wings in Revelation 12. There's a parallel there. We're led in this wilderness to God. God says the very purpose of the Exodus and now of this meeting was to bring the people to himself. This is the connection. For this is the truth of the entire gospel, Old and New Testament. God leads a people to himself who were not at all enamored with God, in love with God, but who were stuck in sin and caught in themselves. God says, I lead you to my self. So this is very important for us to remember this. I want to point out to you that the next 57 chapters of the Bible have to do with Mount Sinai. All the way to Numbers 10. Exodus, and then Leviticus, and then Numbers, the first chapters. And so this is a great portion of the scripture here, the giving of the law the establishment of the people of God in the Old Covenant. But beloved, we're not going to deal with all the details of the 57 chapters as we're just um, explain, uh, exploring different themes and events in, in the wilderness wanderings. But we are mindful of the fact that this is very important. And so let's linger here at the foot of Mount Sinai and may God lead us to himself together. So I want to consider the fact and then want to consider, that is, the fact of, of being led to God, brought to God. Then the communication of that fact. Moses has a lot to say to the people here. And then, finally, the response of the people who vow to keep the covenant that God is making with them. The third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to God. They had been led to God, born on eagles' wings, and God says, I brought you to Myself. But they had already been led to God before Mount Sinai in the Exodus. But even behind that and before that, God's people were God's people. They didn't simply become God's people at Mount Sinai. They had always been God's chosen people. They were gods in Abraham, after all. And when the Old Covenant is established here in Mount Sinai, it's not the, dis- it's not the annulling of the promise that God gave to Abraham, Galatians 3.17. Rather, it's an addition to that promise. It's something to confirm the promise, and that salvation would always be by promise and not by any conditions that people might fulfill. And so they were God's people, and they'd been brought to God from the Exodus and through the Exodus out of Egypt to God to be God's distinctive people as the people and the sons of Abraham, to whom the promise had been made 430-some years before. They were this seed of Abraham, mentioned here is the house of Jacob and the children of Israel, sons of Abraham. Here's the one people being gathered now at the Mount Sinai, as they've always been the people of God. Even in Egypt, they were God's people of promise. They were distinct from the Egyptians, however much they sought to amalgamate and unite with Egypt and Egyptian culture And sin and God's. They were brought to God here at this time as this people, which is a typical people of God. Now, here we come across a term that's a New Testament term, that the Old Testament is written in types and shadows, pictures and symbols of reality, spiritual reality. Israel. In its being brought to God physically on the mount and out of Egypt is a typical people, a picture of what it is to be brought to God spiritually. And there's the connection, first of all. And I want us to be instructed from God's word in typology here and the symbolism of the whole Old Testament so that we can understand that God was communicating the same spiritual truth he does to us today, but to that people in the way of speaking to them, in a very condescending way of picturing to them, as we might to little infants, what it is to be a mom or dad, to be blessed or to go in a certain direction. God makes the people, and they're physically being brought to Sinai and to hear God, a picture of what it is that God does for all of us. The picture we know. Egypt is this place of bondage for them for some many, many years. That's a picture of our bondage in sin, as the New Testament brings out very clearly, and so the old. It's a place of death and servitude, of Uh, the God Pharaoh, who's a picture of the devil, the the ultimate reprobate. Israel is called out of that place of, of being as the Egyptians, and it's a picture of our being as humans in Adam. They're brought out of that to God. And this is something that we need to remember in our whole understanding of how to witness to people This world is full of Americans, Egyptians, Babylonians. These are people who, if they are not converted, are still in Egypt and in the bondage of sin. They are still those who are part of this world that's fallen in Adam. And they are exactly not brought to God. That is, they are kept at bay, at a distance, by God himself because God is holy And if there's anything that Israel is going to know on this mount, God is holy. The mountains shake, the trumpet sounds, the people fear for their lives. They dare not approach the mountain lest they die. And that's the case. God is holy and he will not dwell with sinners as they are in themselves. He does not behold iniquity and he beholds iniquity except to punish it. And so he punishes the wicked, as we'll see tonight, every single day. There's not some reprieve here, you see, before the judgment day. Every day is judgment day and the wrath of God abiding upon sinners who reject God and shake their fist, ignore God, and live their merry, unhappy lives. And so Israel being brought to God, to God himself, is brought to God by grace. And it's a picture of our being brought to God by grace. Interesting that Moses is told to tell the people what God did to the Egyptians and bore them on eagles' wings and brought them to himself, referring to the Exodus they were out of that place of bondage and subservience to a devil. They had been brought to God. And, but here, in their being now to Mount Sinai, we, we know that they're brought even closer to God. That's the way that, that God works. He brings us to himself, and he continues to bring us to himself as we grow in the knowledge of him. So there's this work of the freeing from the guilt, we'd say justification, and then there's this sanctification that follows. And so we're put into the fellowship of God And because now we know the righteousness of Christ, and, but then we're continually led to God. And here you have this picture of this people led out of the wilderness to God, and they're singing at the shore of the Red Sea. And, and the last... Forty-five days or so, they've been led in the wilderness and cared for all this time. And they were being constantly led to God. The God who provides manna from heaven, water from a rock. The, provide who, the God who shows mercy in this because the people complain. They think they have a right to things. And they tempt God, try to test Him to prove Himself to conform himself to their image of what a God should be and how he should care for me and my needs and my conveniences. But they're brought to God then, and they've been brought to God in here in this old covenant. Oh, are they brought a long ways closer to God? Yes, they are. The old covenant, as we say, and as the Bible describes it, is God meeting with the people and establishing laws, as we'll see, Laws of moral, the, law, the moral righteousness that he requires, Exodus 20. We just read that. Laws of society, the, the so-called civil laws and laws for their worship, the ceremonial laws. The whole next 57 chapters are, are filled with that. And this was good for them because God gave it to them. And he wanted them to see in, in light of the promise that this was a great privilege to have these laws and these fur, further revelations, therefore, who God is in his holiness. And so they were led to see something of the great and in, in, impeccableness of God and of their own sin and of their need for a mediator. This is a beautiful thing, I say. And in the new covenant, this is the, the same thing, but much, much higher. We are brought to God initially uh, in, in regeneration and then furthered along in sanctification. But in the New Testament fullness of time, this is all on a different plane. There's a new covenant that God has been established by the Spirit poured out, as we shall see. An intimacy of being brought to God as Israel could never have imagined. Because this covenant is of spirit and of life and not of law and of death, and not of God holding, as it were, people from arm's length, but of God welcoming sinners to himself by the new and living way, the blood of Jesus. Now, that in a nutshell is nutshell. That in summary is what this whole incident is about. The people being brought to God are brought further to God now. And He reminds them of that, and we need to be reminded of that. So I'd apply that to you today and to me. Are you brought to God Himself, beloved, in life? It's a very important question. Are we brought to God himself in all our wandering? We know we're being brought to God. See, it's, it's in the way of our knowing this that there's progress in faith. If we're not so concerned about meeting God, then we just are concerned about our appointments at 9 o'clock Monday morning or our work for the day, or the phone call we have to make, and the decision we have to make in this life. Or if we're concerned more for sin, we're certainly not concerned to be brought to God because we know that would be not a good thing, because God and, and my sin, they won't meet together. And God, in my plans, which happen to be not with God not including God, they, they, they're not going not to be a happy meeting if it ever takes place at all. You ever do that? Someone once said that if God ever laughs, and he does, it's when we make our plans because we don't include God. He says, no, this is my plan. And you should remember that. So it's a very important question that we're faced with here. We, we should, as we seek to apply this word to us in light of the whole of the gospel of the New Testament, that the gospel is all about or being called from one place without God or with many gods Nile River gods, looks gods, wealth gods, popularity gods, to God, or we're not concerned about that. And this sermon makes no sense, goes right over the top, not relevant to us. It's Old Testament, not relevant to us, because I'm just not into this wilderness-wandering and being brought to God. Some people act like they're let out of the wilderness or let out of Egypt, and it's the last thing they want to do is be brought to God, because God's too demanding, and His Word, that calls me up short, The elders come with the word. I don't like that. How? How did God bring Israel and does he bring his people to himself? There is an important beginning at this, of this, and that's this. You shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Verse 5. Why are people brought to God? Why are some brought to God and not others? Because God says, I will make a distinction. That's what you read here. You are a special people, and you shall be a special treasure treasure to me above all people, someone I prize, someone I value as rubies and gold above all the other peoples. All the earth is mine to be sure, but you are especially mine. And that's what we believe here in this church, don't we? And in the The godly tradition of truth that's been passed on to Reformed and Presbyterian churches that speak of God is making all the difference. This is why people are brought to God. Not because they come to God and they choose God. Yeah, that happens. But only after God comes to them and chooses them and says, You're going to be mine, you are mine. And notice how this is the very fact of how God has been dealing with Abraham for 400 years. The word had been, Abraham, your seed, you're mine. I will be your God. You will be my people. I'll bring you to myself and I'll come to you myself. This is the word of promise. And here it's being realized in this constitution of the people as God's people. It's because of God making the difference. The Bible calls it God's good pleasure. God's good pleasure to choose a certain people and not anybody else. Here's this, uh, not beginning, but continuation of the biblical discrimination, or you call it this particularism of the salvation of God. People stumble over this. God chooses some people to be brought to God, not all. They don't realize that God in his in his wrath could have justly left all people outside of God and not brought them to himself, and left them in the bondage and guilt of sin. But this is what God says here, you are mine. You shall be a special treasure to me. And this is all because they are a special treasure to him. They shall be a people to him, though all the earth is his, but they shall be a special people as the children of my love. And the second thing, the second reason why this people was brought to God or how they are is because of Animals and birds. I'm speaking here in the language of the metaphors, the figures of speech that God gives to describe how he brings his people to himself. You have mentioned here, for example, I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Yes, that's the way that God did that. But there's something before that. There was an animal before that. You know what that animal was, children? What was the animal that God used to lead Israel to himself? It was a lamb. It was a Passover lamb. Some 45 days prior to this, there was a Passover lamb that was slain, and that blood of that Passover lamb was shed, and because that shed blood was upon the doorposts of the Israelites, they were saved, and the Egyptians were not because they didn't have that blood and then there's, of course, this eagle's wings, describing here the care of God. And eagles fly high above the earth, and they're, they're above the fray, as it were. They swoop down and, and get their prey, but they're high above the earth. And it's said of eagles, though I'm not sure how accurate this is, that they have special care of their young. They even don't carry their young in their talons, but in their wings or perhaps a reference here in God's care and leadership of the Israelites as eagles are born, uh, they bear their young on wings, is a reference to the fact that when eagles, uh, eaglets and drop off the mother or fall, the, the, the mother will capture, swoop down, and she will carry the falling ones to protection to the nest. Ground. So there's a beautiful metaphor here God carrying people on eagle's wings, you don't have to fear. And then there's that lamb, of course, who's also the lion, and I'm referring here to what all these animals refer to and birds, and that's Jesus. The only way people are brought to God is by the blood of Jesus and by the Spirit of Jesus. The only way they're brought to God himself and not to some idol is by the revelation of the eternal and natural Son of God. That's Jesus Christ, who comes in the fullness of time, but who even here is in the word of the promise and in all of the typology of God being with the people. Jesus has been around ever of old, God communicating and effecting his salvation through him. So that's our second point. We talked about the fact and now the communication of that. There's a word that Moses is to speak to the people, a lot of words. Note this in verse 3, Moses goes up to God, the Lord, Jehovah, the same God, by the way, he met at the burning bush a while ago at Mount Sinai, same place, Exodus chapter 3. Well, he goes up to him now into the mount, and uh, God says to him, you shall say this to the house of Jacob. You have something to tell them. Tell the children of Israel and tell them uh, of God's care of them and tell them of the requirements that he has for them. And so Moses, he he goes and he, he speaks these words to the people. There's something very important here for us in these days, in these days when there's all kinds of ways that people communicate, the media, Internet, iPhones, all this stuff, Facebook. Here's a word, God says, through a mediator, Moses. Just like today, he uses elders and pastor. It's the word from heaven. Now, we don't receive direct revelation, but we have the scripture, and we bring that to the congregation. Just a word, no hype about it, but truth, something very powerful and very simple in that. In fact, it's... It's a clear word that God is bringing to the people here. This is what I've done to you. This is what I'm going to do to you. And everybody can understand this, who is God's people, and we know this isn't rocket science. It's not some deep esoteric theology that only a few people know, but it's something very clear of the basics of the gospel. You bring the word, Moses. You say, just what I say and you leave the increase with me, and my people will hear. And so it's a word, just the word of God's bringing a people to himself and by eagle's wings. And of course, the people would be reminded by implication of all the ways that God cared for them and cares for them, and the word of promise to Abraham. They were God's people. They were being reminded that this word was being fulfilled even as, as God was speaking to them. And Moses did because God had said already back in Exodus 6, you're going to come to this mountain and then you shall know. Uh, I will take you as my people, verse 7 of Exodus 6, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, <coughs> your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptian. And I will bring you into the land which I swear to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and will give it to you as an heritage. I am the Lord. Very clear word of a holy God to a distinguished and honored people. But there's something here also about this word, as there always in is in the word of God. Not only clear, clearly from God, but it works. It's very powerful. Moses pronounces a word here of what God shall do, and he pronounces this word. And in the way of pronouncing it, there is this creation here of the people as a special treasure to God and a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. There is in the speaking of the word of God, God speaking the word of God through his servant Moses, a power. Not a possibility, but a power. Even as at the beginning, God said, Let there be light, let there be giraffe, let there be this and that, and so it was. So God is saying in Israel, Let there be a nation which is mine. Let there be a people consecrated to me, ruling under me over all things, of all the peoples of the world, of all the creation of the universe. Let there be in this little spot, this terra firma here, on this mount from this day forward, a people which is known for its God, and a people which will be consecrated to the service of God. Very powerful. A clear word, a creative and constitutive word of a people, and it's a crossword. It's a crossword. The word of Christ. Going way back to the first word that God said to fall in Adam and Eve, I'm going to put enmity between you and the and the woman, between your seat and my seat. That was the promise. And the word that he gave to Abraham, same word in Genesis 12 and following. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be a blessing to the nations. Those who curse you, I will curse. Those who bless you, I will bless and so on. And then when God was saying to Israel, stirring up Moses to lead them, I'm going to lead this people out. It's the same word now being told. It's the word of the seed of the woman upon er- whom everything depends, Jesus. Jesus. And this is why, beloved, we can relate to this because God spoke the word, Jesus, and look what happens. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. You see, that's the word of the New Testament. And God's speaking the word then and there to Israel That word of his promise in constituting the people a holy priesthood and a a kingdom of God now has spoken the word in Jesus to a people that weren't a people. They weren't Jews. But nevertheless, they had from eternity been singled out of God. And now Jesus dies for them and takes them in and makes them his church. That's you. And that's me. And that's us, the apple of the eye of God. Do we have anything to say against that church, against that word, reality of who we are? If we do, we're complaining to God. God makes us his people far from perfect, far from perfect elders, pastor, deacons, far from perfect parents and spouses and individuals. But his, that's the thing. There's something striking here about just when this word was given, and then I'll go to my final point. We read in Exodus 19 that it was the third month. The people are there the third month, and they had been, excuse me, Exodus. Uh, They were there for a few days receiving information, and scholars and Jews especially figured out that this third month was about 45 days after they had left Egypt, since the Passover about 45 days. Then there was a day of receiving instruction, a day of Moses going up to the mount, and three days of preparation to receive the law. So amounting to 50 days, 50 days from Passover to the giving of the law. Now what's striking about that is that we'd figure this time of the giving of the law at the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Harvest. So right here, and this seems to be the truth here, right here, here is the birth of an Old Testament church prefiguring the birth of the New Testament church at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when Pentecost was fully come. When the Spirit is poured out and the people are brought to God Because God himself brings himself to them in Jesus and now in Jesus' spirit. This is the significance of Sinai. It's God visiting his people, not as he always does, but in a special way, but anticipating just how special we will have it when God comes to us in the fullness of the time when his son is poured out as a sacrifice, and when he receives the Spirit to pour him out on the church. Do you know, beloved, just how good we have it in this new dispensation? We are brought to God, and there's a mountain here, but Sinai's nothing compared to Calvary, and Calvary's nothing compared, if I can say this, to heaven. It's all leading to the Mount of God. to God himself so why would we not covenant with this covenanting God this is what God's calling for here and this is the response after Moses is told to tell the people tell the uh, people about how he bore them on eagle's wings and brought them to himself. Speaks of obedience. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you'll be a special people above all people, for all the earth is mine. You shall be a kingdom of priests and holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak. Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said all that the Lord has spoken. We will do. Universal agreement to what God said they must do and be. Now, of course, we know that not all Israel was true Israel. There was a fake Israel, just as there is in the church. There's fake people of God. They say they love the Lord. They don't listen to the words of God. They say, oh, we can ignore that word or this other word. That's not convenient. That doesn't... Um, justify my position or whatever, so we'll just pass that by. But this people said, yes, all of them, to all that the Lord had spoken. Where are the people that is so holy and committed to God today? A people, they say, of the Spirit. Are they of the Spirit and the Word? Are we? In order to accentuate the importance of Moses, God at this time, says, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud. you see that there in verse 9? I'll just leave you with this. I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. Now, of course, he's, he's leading the people and, in us who hear today, to profound mystery, God in the thick cloud will speak to Moses. I find here, beloved, at the center of this thick cloud, Jesus. In the great mystery of godliness, God manifest in the flesh. I find in that thick cloud the cross of Calvary and all the contradiction that Jesus endured for sinners. That's what it costs for God to bring sinners to himself. Jesus' blood shed. That's the only way we go to heaven. That's the only way we can be a powerful, united witness together of what matters most in our lives. God, his truth. Not my truth, not yours, his truth. And that's what keeps us together and causes us to grow together. And it's all so that we may listen to Jesus forever. That's a good thing, isn't it? Hear God speak through Jesus forever. beginning now. Amen. We pray, Lord, that you would bless and give us to know what it is to be brought to you. We're saved to be holy. We're saved to be happy. We're saved to be brought to you. And it's not necessarily with everything we wanted to take with us to be brought to you, for every one we wanted to take with us for a long life together. You are the God who brings us to you, your way. And Lord, that's a good way. You've revealed this through Moses and that picture of Jesus that he is. We we love and we pray, Father, to abide his kingdom of priests consecrated to you always hearing the word and resolving to do it. Amen.